I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Thursday, so this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy our show. This story was first published on January 16th of 2011 under the headline, Oregon Backcountry is Rich in Legends of Buried Treasure. Here we go. Oregon has more than its share of high-profile stories of lost and buried treasure. Stories like the Blue Bucket Mine in northeastern Oregon and the buried treasure of Neakani Mountain on the coast. But there are many more as well. Rumors and legends of buried loot from stagecoach robberies, gold dust squirreled away by nervous prospectors, and even a kettle of cash stashed away for safekeeping by a paymaster doomed to die in silence. And who knows, one or two of them might even be true. Let's explore a few. We'll start with the Louse Creek stage robbery in 1890. In 1890, a group of robbers held up a stagecoach near Louse Creek in Josephine County, north of Grants Pass. The story says Douglas County, but this is probably an error. Louse Creek runs within a couple dozen miles of the Douglas County line. According to this legend, the robbers were chased down and killed in classic 1890s Oregon goldfield style, but one of them, with his dying breath, said that the loot had been stashed just a few hundred yards from the crime scene in a hole in the ground. For years, treasure seekers have scrounged around the area looking under every leaf. As far as anybody knows, they found nothing until 1933 when a gold prospector named C.L. Eubanks, beating the bushes along the creek for something, maybe this, but he came across a manzanita tree with some peculiar carvings on the trunk. The date 1890 was there, along with the initials MLP and LPM, the robbers' names maybe, and below that a message. Eubanks could just make out the words go to, but beyond that, the tree's healing powers in the previous 35 years had made the carving unreadable. That summer, Eubanks devoted himself to the hunt for the missing loot, but so far as anyone knows, he never did find it. Here's another good one from Southern Oregon. It's the silent paymaster of Fort Grant. In the years after gold was discovered in California and Southern Oregon, the town of Fort Grant sprang up south of Medford, more or less where Phoenix is today. The town lacked a bank, so the paymaster of one of its companies, probably the stage line, kept accounts for the local miners. He'd stash their gold dust and $20 coins and other valuables in a big iron kettle, which he kept securely buried in a secret location. Well, that worked great until the paymaster suddenly had a stroke. Struck dumb, the paymaster motioned for a pencil and was handed one, but halfway through his attempt to draw a map... The growing damage in his brain reached the lethal stage, and he took its secret with him to the grave. Again, there was much time and effort given to scrounging around camp and thrusting steel rods into the ground to probe for the kettle, but again, as far as is known, no one ever found it. But then, hey, if I'd found it, I wouldn't have told anyone, would you? Here's another one this time from Eastern Oregon. The inside job at Pendleton. Maybe it was an inside job. This is another solid gold legend, which actually has enough basis, in fact, to have made it into court in 1880. 
It seems a fellow named H.P. Page, an official with Wells Fargo, was riding to Portland on a company stage that was delivering a big chunk of money. On the way, Page went into the boot of the Concord stagecoach to take a nap on the mail sacks, or so the jury chose to believe when it acquitted him. The prosecution tended to think he was doing something other than snoozing in there. Whatever the real story was, what mattered most was that the shipment of gold was somehow abstracted from the coach on its way to Portland. Oh, and one other little detail, the coach didn't stop anywhere on the way. The gold simply disappeared en route. It's hard to imagine any way that could have happened other than Page chucking it out the window into a bush along the route. Page, acquitted, found himself marked as untrustworthy and left the area and was never heard from again. But some folks think he stashed the loot somewhere in Umatilla County to retrieve later after his notoriety had ebbed a bit and never made it back. Maybe it's still there. Or maybe the whole thing is a Tooth Fairy class fantasy. Who knows? One last story, and this one probably the least believable of the bunch. But again, who knows? Apparently, in 1857, a miner showed up at a saloon in Corvallis, of all places, and started bragging about a rich gold strike he'd hit. The story goes that after sobering up, this fellow realized he'd raised his public profile more than was probably good for him and that he'd better stash his pile someplace safe so that he could not be a walking, talking, engraved formal invitation to a mugging. So he put his gold dust in a rubber boot and squirreled it away in what's now P.V. Arboretum. Subsequently, the story claims the miner disappeared and several Corvallis citizens shortly thereafter became uncommonly wealthy. This last bit makes this story especially suspect, as in 1857 so much money was still pouring into Oregon from the gold fields of California and southern Oregon that a sudden increase in a neighbor's living standards would not have been unusual enough to raise such suspicions. What else is wrong with the story? Actually, plenty. First of all, Corvallis is not a mining town. It's certainly possible that someone struck gold nearby, but he'd be far more likely to go south and strike it in Jacksonville or Virginia City, which means he'd be doing his drunken boasting there, not in Corvallis back home. And secondly, rubber boots were uncommon and valuable items in 1857, not the sort of thing a man would use to bury something in. Still, it's a fun legend to think about, and if you're ever visiting the Arboretum, who knows, it may even be true, and you could find it. You could also meet Santa Claus on a visit to the North Pole. But maybe we'll discuss legends of that sort at a more seasonally appropriate time. Key sources in this story have included works by Ralph Friedman and the website treasure-adventure.com. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. What you've been listening to is one of more than 550 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulplet Productions, pulp-lit.com, a boutique publishing house owned and operated by yours truly, specializing in audiobook and multimedia editions of the work of the classic pre-war pulp writers. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license type CC by SA 4.0, which basically means you can do anything with the content you like, so long as you A, give me credit for it, and B, whatever you make is also released under a Creative Commons license. But if you need a waiver to either A or B, hit me up, fj at offbeatoregon.com. I've never said no yet to a request for a waiver of one of those conditions. They're generally there just to prevent me from accidentally authorizing the reuse of something I don't actually control the rights to. 
A good example might be a photograph used by special permission of the rights holder. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Vaccara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every single weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.